0: I want to ask you a question. Who or what is discipling you? Who or what is discipling you? And so you're probably like, wait a minute. (laughs) Wait, I don't know what discipling means. So (laughs) we might want to start there. But here's, I'll share you an illustration. I'm a disciple of Jeeps. I love. I have a Jeep Wrangler, and I love working on my Jeep Wrangler. I like detailing it. I like making it look good. I also like getting it dirty. I like taking it through the mud. I enjoy a good mud puddle. River crossings are always fun, right? I enjoy those kind of things. That's one of my little hobbies. And when my Jeep is broke, I want to learn how to fix it. And so therefore, I go to one of the great disciples of our culture, YouTube. And YouTube disciples me on how to fix my Jeep. Case in point. So if you, if you, if you, well, if you have a Jeep, you would understand this. If you have a Jeep Wrangler, there's, and especially if you've got a lift kit on it and you run 33s or higher on your tires. Anyway, uh, you would know what I'm talking about. There's this thing called a death wobble. Anybody heard about a death wobble? So at a certain speed, those Jeeps that have the bigger tires and the lift kits on them and all that kind of stuff, the, literally the front end tires will start to wobble like this. And it vibrates the entire Jeep. It's like the whole thing, it feels like the whole thing is going to fall apart. Well, about two months ago, that started happening on my Jeep. And immediately I'm like, what is going on? I got to figure this out. So I went to YouTube and you type in Jeep Wrangler death wobble. Oh yeah, there's videos all over about how to fix this death wobble. Well, as I got up underneath the Jeep and started looking around at some parts that I didn't know anything about, I found out there's this thing called a steering stabilizer. Anybody know what I'm talking about so far? Do we have, okay, we have a couple of people that understand, all right. This steering stabilizer is a little shock. It looks like a you know spring-loaded shock. It sits on the track bar underneath it. And with that little shock, it's about this big, literally, If it goes out or starts leaking, it will cause the front end to rattle like this and wobble. And so I learned this on the YouTube. So I decided that I was going to take matters into my own hands. I wasn't going to pay somebody to do this. I was going to learn how to do this. So I went down to the trusty Napa Auto Parts, right there, you know, the stage road in Nappling. Walked in the door, said, I need a steering stabilizer. I sounded really cool when I said that. I need to, you know, and I told him to make and model my Jeep and all that kind of stuff. And so he gave me a part. So I was like, perfect. So I got home and I got up underneath that Jeep and I started taking off the old steering stabilizer. It's held on by two, I'm going into so much detail and some of y'all are like, this is so good. It's held on by two bolts. One bolt I got off. The second bolt I couldn't. It had literally rusted and fused onto that little shock. And so this little steering stabilizer was dangling by one bolt underneath my Jeep. And I'm like, this is not good. I worked on that steering stabilizer. I worked on that bolt forever. Three and a half hours I worked on that thing. I got that thing was like, it's gotta go off. And then it finally just dawned on me. How do I find out how to get this bolt off? I go to the one thing that's going to disciple me, right? YouTube. So I literally YouTubed how to take off a steering stabilizer bolt that's rusted on. Yeah. There was only one video and this video, the guy had an air hammer. That's one thing I don't have at the house, all right? An air hammer. So I called uh, a trusty friend right down the street, gateway tire and service and said, hey, I can't get this bolt off. He said, bring it to me in the morning and I'll get it off for you. So I took it down there and hundred dollars later, I got a new steering stabilizer put on my Jeep. I was discipled by YouTube. Who's discipling you? Now, some of you have a lot of different hobbies. You have a lot of different things that you're involved in. But here's the truth. You are being discipled by somebody or something or someone. Whether it be a famous person that you admire and the things about his life or her life that you really look up to you are watching their lives and you are being discipled by them. It may be an article. It may be a podcast. It may be a lot of different things that you're involved in. Where is the information coming into your heart and life? And who are you growing and becoming because of what you watch and what you're a part of? Who is discipling you? I left you a blank on your talk sheet. I'll let you fill in the blank. You don't necessarily have to talk to me, but you could, I want you to write it down. Who or what is discipling you? I want you to deeply think about it. Okay, you're done thinking about it. Let's move on. Uh, because I'm doing two talks in one tonight. All right. What is it? What is a disciple? Anybody want to take a guess at that? We're a small crowd tonight. y'all talk back to me. What is a disciple? A follower? Good word, for sure. Anybody else want to take another stab at it? A teacher? That would be a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does anybody want to define that name? That was one of your survey questions, by the way. <laughs> a student? Yeah. Yes, for sure. Robbie Galladay, who is the pastor at Long Hall. Yeah, Seth, what you got? A student that then teaches others? Huh? I like that. That's a good word. Robbie Gallaty, who's the pastor at Long Hollow over in Henderson, Hendersonville, Tennessee, he says it this way. I think I have a quote up on the screen. It says, before a person can make disciples, he or she must first be a disciple. A disciple is a, underline this one, learner. That's the first fill in the blank. A disciple is a learner, one who is set on growing and developing. I like that word. I can identify with that word learner. A disciple is a learner. Now, as you think about the Bible and you think about all the disciples that Jesus had, one of the most famous ones is Peter. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive into the life of Peter and learn from his his greatness and his biggest (laughs) faults and uh, mistakes of what it really means to truly be a disciple. If I'm going to be a disciple, as Peter was a disciple, I want to learn from him and some of the things that he went through and how it applies to me. And so, over the next couple of weeks, that's the kind of the character that we're going to dive into. And tonight, I'm going to highlight a lot of different stories about him that best illustrate what it means to really be a disciple. And the first thing we have to understand, if we're truly going to be a disciple of Christ, we've got to learn how to count the cost. We got to learn how to count the cost. Because if we're truly going to step out and to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, what does that mean? What does that require of me? Because it is a two-way street. A learner and a disciple is a two-way street. The disciple, the teacher, in this case Jesus, is going to do the talking and me, the disciple, I have a response to this as well. There's something that happens in my heart as I relate to Jesus as much as he relates to me. As much as he speaks into me, I need to be speaking to him. You're going to see this in the life of Peter. It's really amazing. And so I want to highlight a passage of scripture. Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. And this is the moment when Peter dropped the net, right? This is the moment when Peter and Jesus met for the first time. And what Jesus asked him to do was pretty crazy. And I want us to look at it, all right? Here we go. Luke 5, 1 through 11. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing at the lake of, uh, yeah, that one. Um, And he saw two boats lying on the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And basically they were done. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, otherwise known as Peter, and asked him to put out a little distance from the land. And he sat down and continued to teach the crowds from the boat. Now, Jesus is pretty amazing. If you think about this, if you've ever been out on the lake, if you push out away from the, the shore, it's like your voice echoes off the water. It's like a natural megaphone. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was using this boat, pushing it off to the side, and he's speaking to the crowds that are up on the bank. And everybody, the cool thing is because of the the echoes and all the things, he was able to communicate and everybody was able to hear him. And so now he pushed out and said, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. And Simon responded said, master, we've worked all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when he had done this, they caught a great quantity of fish. In other words, it was so much they couldn't count a great, great quantity, and their nets began to tear. And so they signaled to the partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats to the point where they were sinking. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus's feet. And this is what he said. Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because the catch of fish which they had taken. And likewise, also James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear, for now on you will be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. This is the moment when Peter came face to feet with Jesus. This is the moment when Peter saw greatness of a miracle of thousands of fish in a moment. And he recognized who Jesus was as more than just a mortal man because of the miracle that Jesus had just done. And Peter in that moment dropped everything and followed Jesus. Now, there's so much in this passage, and I'm going to highlight just a couple of things. But there's a couple of things. I want you to think about this. As you look at Peter's obedience in this moment, as you look and see how Peter just dropped everything and followed him, that's not everybody's story. That's not everybody, like some of us in this room, you have probably come face to feet with Jesus. You have seen a miracle of salvation in your own heart, but you haven't taken that step of discipleship. You haven't taken that step of following, truly following after Jesus. And there's probably a couple of reasons why. I have three of them. And they all start with the letter D. (laughs) It's funny, I'm a preacher and I alliterate, all right? Um, These are not in your notes, so if you wanna write them off to the side, here's what I think. Is that so many of us are not ready to be discipled? Why? Because one, we're disconnected. You haven't truly connected your life to Jesus, you're disconnected. You haven't truly. taking that step like Peter did and to drop everything and to pursue Jesus. You're not willing to let go of the sinful past or the addictions that you may be entertaining. You're not ready to let go of those things, but rather you're disconnected from Jesus and therefore you will never follow through in discipleship and growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ because you're disconnected. Number two, you're probably disinterested. (laughs) Another D word. You like this? You like where I'm going with this? Disconnected. You're disinterested. You're believing for whatever reason that this spiritual growth thing is just not your jam. For whatever reason, the spiritual growth thing, the studying God's word, learning more about who God is, is just not your thing. You're disinterested in all the things that Jesus has for you and the growth that's ahead of you. You're just not interested in that. You're more worried about your own status. You're more worried about what other people think about you. You would much rather be cool than to pursue Jesus. I just used a 1980s word. I'm sorry, cool. Does that make sense? Um, Hopefully you understood that. Um, So you're disconnected. You're disinterested. Or maybe the third one, there's a big word, disenfranchised. You like what I did there? You ready? I'll spell it for you. D-I-S-E-N, franchised. D-I-S-E-N-F-R-I, or A, I'm sorry, F-R-A-N-C-H-I-S-E-D. Disenfranchised. Maybe I should have put it up there. Here's the point. This is what it means. God, I see you, but I'm just not I'm just not interested. God, I no. I just I don't need it. You're disenfranchised. You're just apathetic to the whole thing. And it's you're probably sitting there thinking, what's the point? You're disenfranchised. What's the benefit? I I'm not in. And so many of us not many, I would say some of us, maybe fitting into one of those categories. You just not. I'm just not interested in discipleship. I don't want to grow as a disciple. It's just not on my radar. Because you're disconnected, you're disinterested, and you're disenfranchised. You're just not desiring the things of God in your life. You are pursuing more of the things of this world. The things of God have just not captured your attention. And here's my prayer, is that at some point, at some point, hopefully sooner than later, you'll realize that the pursuits of the world will pale in comparison to the pursuit of God. Amen. Yep. At some point, you would come to the realization that dropping your nets, and I'm gonna talk about that in just a minute, that dropping your nets is way more valuable than holding on to your nets and believing that those things will save you. And it may be the pursuit of, God forbid, athletics, it might be the pursuit of performance in the hearts and lives of your friends and the people around you. You would much rather go after those things than to than desire to have the things of God more and more in your heart and your life. I had a great conversation with a student this week about this. Steve, I like these things and I'm thankful for the things that I get to do in my life. How can I allow God to be a part of these things? What you're telling me or what you're thinking about is that I have to, it's either or. Either I have this desire in my life or I have all things God. And I'm gonna challenge you in this. This is the most beautiful thing. If you can get this, you'll, it'll revolutionize your life, period. If you would begin to invite Jesus into those things in your life, you will find more joy and more peace than separating the two. If you would simply invite Jesus to be a part of that area of your life and to begin to live out what Jesus would want with your interests, with your hobbies, with the things that you desire, and you begin to allow him to be a part of that area of your life, you will find more peace and more joy in the things that you do. But Steve, what if Jesus doesn't want me to do it anymore? Don't you think that might be a good thing? Maybe you need to get rid of it. Maybe it's a sinful habit. Maybe it's an addiction. If you invite Jesus into your addiction, what is Jesus going to do about it? Yeah? If you can't do that, if you can't invite Jesus into that moment, oh, you're missing it. That means, honestly, you probably need to deal with it. That's sinful, distracting and shouldn't be a part of your life. So there's so many reasons why many of us won't pursue discipleship. And a lot of it has to do with the sin or the addiction or the struggle of really surrendering our heart and our life to Christ fully. But a disciple, a true disciple will lay it all down. A true disciple will count the cost and say, you know what, there it is. Here's a couple of observations I wanna dive into about this passage where Jesus, where Peter just drops the net. One, these, these are in your notes. Here's a couple observations. Number one, Peter doesn't know Jesus fully. That's awesome. That's amazing that Peter dropped his nets and didn't know him fully. All he knew, and you see this in, all he knew is that he was spiritually desperate. How was Peter so spiritually desperate? How do I know that? It's because as soon as he saw the miracle, what was Peter's response? What did Peter do? Go away from me, I'm a simple person. Oh my gosh. He knew it in the very moment that Jesus was God and he wasn't. Peter did not know Jesus fully. He didn't. Number two, here's the beautiful thing, is that Jesus knows Peter fully. Jesus knew what he was doing when he picked Peter. Peter. And we know the end of the story is amazing, right? And we're gonna talk a lot about that here in the next couple of weeks. But you see how Jesus knew what God, what he was doing in Peter's life. And the moment that, (laughs) so cool, the moment that when Peter dropped the net, Jesus went, oh yeah, now we're in for the ride, right? Jesus knows all of us fully. And yet he still calls every one of us to be a disciple. That's cool. Number three. Peter stepped out on faith. He didn't know all the answers, right? For all the planners in the room (laughs) who have to have every detail out before you take a step, right? You know, Peter didn't know that. Peter simply took a step of faith. He just believed that Jesus was more, that Jesus was worth it that whatever Jesus had done and putting thousands of fish in his net and it was a payday like a heyday, like it was all there in that moment. Peter believed that and had enough faith to drop it all. His whole livelihood, everything about him, all that he has known. We know he's also married. He had a family and that support of his family was literally the nets that were in his hand and he dropped that. He took a step of faith in discipleship. And I believe for some of us, that might be a good idea for us. That if we're truly gonna live this disciple life, then some of us need to get to the place where we quit forgetting or trying to figure things out that we just simply take a step of faith and just see what happens on the other side of it. And so that's the challenge for us. You know what? It's gonna cost you to be a disciple. It's gonna cost you. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. You're going to have to give up some things, yes. It's going to cost you. Oh, gosh. For some of you, you're like, I don't want to do it because I don't want to endure the cost. Following Jesus is worth more than any earthly pursuit that you might have. But I can't convince you of that. I can't. All I can tell you is that on this side of faith that I'm living, as I've been a believer for, oh gosh, 30 years, I don't know what my life would be like without Jesus. I'm a satisfied customer. As Pastor Steve would say. I just know that the moment when I chose to pursue Christ and become a disciple, yes, things changed for me, but I can't, I'm never gonna go back. I can't, I can't go back. The joy that I have and the peace that I have in my life goes far beyond this. Some of you, the cost is gonna cost you but all I can tell you is the moment that you take that step of faith on the other side of that, there's gonna be so much peace and there's gonna be so much just joy because of that. Tell him I said hi. Um, so what does it cost you? Let's look at Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now large crowds, it's up on the screen. Now large crowds were going along with him and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his brother or his father, his mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What? You read that and you say, Jesus said that? Yeah, Jesus said that. Let me put it in perspective for you. He's not telling you to abandon your family. What he's telling you to do is to prioritize him He's not saying forsake your family, get rid of them. You shouldn't have a mom and dad, leave them. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, a lot of you are putting a lot of stake here, but I need you to put it here. The priority in our hearts and our lives ought to be Jesus. And here's the thing, as you do that, all of these relationships with mother, brother, father, sister, mother, all those things, those things fall into place when you put Jesus number one. Because the greatest commandment: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. And then what's the next one? Love your, neighbors Love your yourself. neighbor as yourself. It's just amazing how that happens. When we put Jesus above that and make him a priority in our lives, these relationships get good. And so he says that. He says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What? For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who are watching will begin to ridicule him, saying, this person began to build and it was, was not able to finish. Count the cost. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king for battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to face the one coming against him with 20,000? Count the cost. Otherwise, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation to request terms of peace. He counts the cost. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his own possessions. It's gonna cost you, y'all. It's gonna cost you. He's not saying that you're gonna be poor (laughs) as being a disciple, but it's gonna cost you. And here's what I think the biggest cost is. And I think for a lot of us, it's reputation. It's reputation. The one thing you're probably holding on to the most in your heart and your life is, what, do people, what are people gonna think about me? Reputation. If I really start truly following after Christ in my heart and my life, are people gonna make fun of me? Are people gonna ridicule me? Are my friends gonna leave me? Reputation. And Jesus would say, leave them. If they're, if they're not going to follow, leave them. And trust me that when you really step out in faith and truly become my disciple, I will backfill all of those friends. I will backfill all of those people that you have desperately wanted. And I will bring people to be a part of your life in such a way that would be a positive influence for you instead of a negative one. Amen. Come on. But it's going to cost you. There may be moments when you feel like, not reality, but you feel like you're alone. It's not reality, but you feel like you're alone. But yet when you step out on faith and be, truly become a disciple of Christ, trust me, trust me, there will be those that will come around you. Yep. Trust me. God will provide yep. what you need when you take a true step of faith. Count the cost. I'm getting so far behind. You ready? Let's go on to the next one. What does it mean to follow Jesus? We counted the cost. Now we're gonna follow Jesus. This is point number two and a long couple of, this is actually sermon number two. That was sermon number one. All right, you ready? Sermon number two, to follow Jesus. Now we're taking the hard look at Peter and we see how he dropped the net. Now what happens? Now what happens? Let's look at Luke nine twenty three through 27. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, what? Daily Daily and do what? Follow Follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, this is the one who will save it. For what good does it do a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words The son of man will be ashamed of him when it comes in his glory and the glory of the father and the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Y'all, strong statement about what it means to follow him. And it's to deny ourselves, to take up our cross. Two huge steps. I'm gonna articulate some of those here in just a second. Two strong commitments that we need to make in our heart and our lives about our words and the things that we do and who we are, our reputations, all of those things to truly step out and to be a disciple of Christ. I gotta deny myself? What does that mean? Deny myself? Am I just gonna beat up on myself? Am I gonna ridicule? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the selfish desires, the selfish pride that many of us are in this room. No, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Deny yourself, humble yourself before the Lord. When you humble yourself, deny yourself, you humble him, yourself before the Lord, then he begins to lift you up. That's another whole nother passage. That's a whole nother scripture. We can talk about that. That's a whole nother sermon, series, pretty much. But it's that moment when we say, you know what, it's not my will, God. It's your will to be done, to deny myself, to take up the cross. The burdens that you carry, the things that you lug around, the sin that entices you? Are you willing to lay those things down and to take those things and bring them to Jesus and let him handle the things of your life that seem to be hard, that seem to be a struggle, that you would humble yourself, take up that cross, and to follow Jesus, even when it's hard? That, (laughs) that's what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus, there's three things I want us to look about. What do we do daily about this thing? Because that's what it says, right? That's what Jesus tells us as a disciple. If we're gonna follow him, we gotta do this what? Daily. Daily. We gotta do this every day. One, it's a daily confession. It's a daily confession. It says another word to use might be allegiance. I confess that I know him, he knows me, and I'm all in for him. Wherever he goes, I go, I'm all in. I'm not afraid of him, I'm not afraid to speak his name, I'm not gonna be ashamed, I'm not gonna shrink back. No, it's a daily confession that Jesus and I are, we got this. It's a daily confession. Number two, it's a daily commitment. A daily commitment. A commitment to lordship. I'm gonna help you understand what lordship is. Lordship is simply to put him boss of your life. King of your life, that on the throne of your heart, it's not you that's sitting there, it's Jesus that's sitting there. And that's what it means to be in lordship, that I'm going to make him lord of my life. He's not, he is my savior, but he's also my lord, my boss, that wherever he asks of me, I'm all in. And it is a daily commitment to that that every morning I put two feet on the floor. You've heard me say this over and over again. That's the moment when discipleship happens. The moment when you get up in the morning, you put two feet on the floor, you roll out of bed, two feet on the floor, you take your first step. What's the first thought there? What's the first action step there? Is it allegiance, confession, commitment? Yes, hopefully it's all of those things. And the last one, it's a daily curiosity. To truly follow Christ, it's a confession of him as Lord, an allegiance to him. It's a commitment every single day, even when it gets hard. And it's a curiosity. It's the learner aspect of being a disciple, that you're willing to be a learner. Learners ask questions. Learners seek answers. For me, and maybe for you, It might be YouTube or Google to find the answers. But a true disciple of Jesus goes to Jesus for the answers. And I'm looking at Jesus and what he has to say, and I'm learning from him in such a way that I can live my life. And so there's a daily curiosity. Jesus is a talker, and his disciples ought to be listeners and learners and asking questions. So how do these three things relate to Peter? So awesome, all right? The first one is, um, how did it go for Peter in this area? The first one is, Peter allowed peer pressure and fear to ding his confession of knowing Jesus. This is where Peter didn't get it right. He missed it. He missed it. Luke 22, verses 60 through 62, it talks about the moment where Peter denies Jesus three times. You know the story? Where he's been... Captured by the Pharisee religious leaders, he'd gone to trial. He is on his way to the cross. And all of the people around the moment see Peter as one of the guys that walked around with him. And three different times, people looked at him and said, Peter, don't you know this man? And three times, Peter said, no. He didn't confess Jesus very well in those three moments. He didn't. He missed it he missed it. Three times. No, I don't know this man. No, I'm not with him. No, he ain't with me. Three times he denied him. If you know the story, there's a little moment that Jesus and Peter have on a beach a little bit later where Jesus restores him three times. It's amazing. But in this moment, he doesn't get it right. He misses it. He allows the peer pressure of the people around him. He allows the fear around him to ding his confession. I didn't say it ruined it. I said it dinged it. You know what I mean by that, right? Like the car's still drivable, but it's got a ding in it. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, Number two, what we learn about this is that Peter allowed the waves and doubt to shake his commitment, preventing him from walking out to Jesus on the water a great story, y'all. Y'all know this story where the wind and the waves were just crashing? Jesus wasn't in the boat, right? Jesus would kind of, he told his disciples, hey, y'all go out on the the water. I'll catch up to you later. Uh, I don't know why the disciples didn't think, how is he gonna get to us? But he goes out, they are out sailing, storm comes, waves crashing. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then they see this figure in the distance walking on the water. And who's the one that yells out, who's the one? Peter. Hey, Lord, call me out there. I like that. I like that idea. When was the last time you were out on the boat and you thought, I think I could walk on that? That whole wave thing, you think I could walk on that? Peter, <laughs> Peter sees Jesus and says, oh, I want to do that. That's awesome. And so he says, come on out. Jesus told him, come on out. And so he did. He took one step. Can you imagine the first step? Can you imagine what Peter thought in that very first step when he was literally standing on water in that moment? Can you just imagine? Like, what is going on in this moment? And then what the Bible teaches and says is that he started looking around, he saw the wind, he saw the waves, he started, fear crept in. And what happened? He began to what? Sink. Sink. And Jesus does the most incredible thing he doesn't let Peter drown. That's a cool thing, cool concept about who Jesus is. He'll never let you drown. Amen. He'll never let you drown. He'll always reach down. Come on, Peter. I got you. Don't you want Jesus to do that for you? Oh, amen. Yeah. I like that because he does that to his disciple. If you are struggling as a disciple of Christ, look to the master he won't let you drown. He'll pick you up, put you in the boat. What a teachable moment, teachable moment for Peter. But he allowed the waves and the doubt to shake his commitment, to shake him and rattle him a little bit. Number three, and Peter always asked great questions. And desired to know more about who Jesus or what Jesus was talking about. Two different passages, not on the screen, but Matthew 15, 15 says, Peter said to him, Explain to us this parable. He was talking about, he was teaching all the different disciples, and Peter just didn't get it. It wasn't making sense to him. And so instead of sitting there silent, just assuming that one day I'll figure it out, Peter said, You gotta tell me. Explain this to me. And so Peter asked great questions. In John 13, 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. I love that about Peter. Peter's all in for Jesus. He knows Jesus and he wants to know everything. And so instead of just sitting there silent, just assuming everything's gonna be okay, he raises his hand over and over and over again. And Jesus answers his question every single time. There's a moment that I want to highlight for all of us. We talked about two different moments where Peter didn't get it. Peter was a great question asker. But there's one moment in Scripture that captured my attention where I saw all three of those happen, and he got it right. Now, here's the thing. As a disciple of Christ, we're not always going to get it right. And this is what I love about Jesus He's not expecting perfection from his disciples. He's not. Why? Because he knows you. He knows you live in a sinful world. He knows that you will be tempted. He knows that you will trip and fall sometimes. There'll be moments when you get dinged. He's not expecting perfection from you. He knows that you will doubt and fear just like Peter did. He knows that all those things about you. That's the beauty of being a disciple is that there's somebody, and his name is Jesus, that's willing to reach in to pull you out. You have an advocate. You have one that's with you. The master, the teacher, wants to help his disciples to grow in relationship with him. He is not going to abandon you in your discipleship. He's not going to run from you. He desires to be in a relationship with you. And I like this passage of scripture. This is John chapter six, verses 68 through 69. Love this. Because a lot of disciples in this moment, a lot of the the not so dedicated disciples were starting to fall away. They didn't like what Jesus was saying. They didn't like the uncomfortableness of being a disciple. And so they started to scatter. And this is what John 6, 68 says this. As a result of this, many of his disciples left and would no longer walk with him. So Jesus said to the 12, his inner circle, you do not want to leave also, do you? And this is where Peter got it right. And Peter answered and said, Lord, whom shall we go? Whom to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have already believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Can we give Peter a hand clap? Give Peter a hand clap. I love that. I love that. Because Peter got it right. Where else can we go, Jesus? Nothing else in this world pales in comparison to you. You. You have the words of eternal life. You have everything that I need. I'm all in for you. That was the declaration of Peter. His confession was right on. His commitment was right on. His curiosity led him to that place of complete lordship and how beautiful a picture that is. And here's my hope and my heart for each one of us in this room, that we would get to the place all of us would get to the place in our heart that we would say the same declaration to Jesus. Where else am I gonna go? There's no YouTube channel, there's no Google search out there that's gonna give to me what being in relationship with you is all about.